Fear is not always the enemy. Yes, our fears are sometimes unfounded or overpowering and undermine us. Other times, though, our fears are understandable, natural, and important to us. They might even save our lives. Healthy Fears is a podcast hosted by horror author Johnny Compton that looks into how our fears are explored, exploited, and examined in different stories from film, literature, history, and more. Whether it's something as fundamental as our fear of death, as well known as the fear of clowns, or something much more unique such as the fear of balloons, every fear is very real to the person experiencing it and can be worthy of deeper inspection. If you're interested and not afraid to listen, you can find Healthy Fears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcasting platform you prefer. Welcome to Stories for Change, an offshoot of my podcast where I share stories that will hopefully help us become better allies. If you would like to use my platform to promote your work or share your perspective, please send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. American history is a horror story for Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. And yet, mainstream horror cinema has vastly left these groups out of the picture, both on and behind the screen. In this week's episode, I speak with horror writer Johnny Compton about why that might be and how we can change that. Uh, My name is Johnny Compton. I live in San Antonio, Texas. I'm a horror author, currently had published several short stories, working on a novel. And uh, I've recently started a horror podcast as well. Johnny remembers the moment that he felt connected to the horror genre. His kindergarten teacher, Miss Nina, played a story in class called The Golden Arm. It's like a, an old school classic. Um, the person who is buried with something valuable comes back because that valuable thing is, is stolen, which is kind of a, a horror archetype. In this case, it's a golden arm. Sometimes I think it's a woman that has the golden arm and it's her husband that digs it up, steals it to, you know, it's made of gold to sell it, presumably. She comes back, kills him. And, you know, as she's stalking through the house, she's calling out, who's got my golden arm? And he's trembling in a back room somewhere. And then, you know, it's supposed to be one of those you tell over the campfire and you're, you know, making yourself sound as creepy as possible. Who's got my golden arm? And it goes on like that until eventually she finds where he's hiding and shouts at him, you've got it. And that's where the story ends. And you're supposed to, of course, as you're telling it, pounce on the person who's nearest you and tell them you've got it. First time I heard it, I was blown away. So why do we like being scared? I get asked this a lot by people who don't enjoy horror at all, because I not only cover a lot of dark content, but I love horror movies, attending weird interactive theater events, and haunted house attractions. But in reality, I'm a huge scaredy cat. I don't like heights or ocean activities, never been bungee jumping or skydiving. I don't seek my thrills in that way because, in my mind, those activities present a real danger. I can fall to my death or drown. But a horror movie? A horror movie can't really hurt me. The horror genre provides that adrenaline rush, but in a safe and controlled environment. And I also think that, you know, for me, different things in in my life, you know, from my youth, I was really sick as a kid. 
Uh, I was in and out of hospitals, some of that stuff when I was, you know, younger and some other things in my life that even as a kid, just I think I had an awareness of maybe not my own mortality per se, but just of, you know, a certain level of fragility and things that scared me. And I've always kind of pursued horror as a way for me personally to also be able to control certain aspects of that which scares me. As much as I love the horror genre, it has a serious diversity problem. It's a problem in the entertainment industry as a whole, but you don't need to be a film historian to know that horror movies rarely have Black protagonists. And when you look at the history of how Black people have been treated in America, it makes no sense. Because who has experienced more horror? The Black experience in America. You can find parallels in horror fiction and how it's kind of scaled up through time. And how we're still, you know, the fact that we were still marginalized away from horror fiction for so long just felt so heartbreaking in in some respects because of the fact that we've been directly tied to such real life horror. But, you know, I remember also being a kid in Mississippi and I don't have a pinpoint moment of finding out, but, you know, you, you eventually find out, okay, slavery was a thing and people that looked like you were once captives in this region of the country. And then, you know, then you think, oh, that's that sounds sad. And then as you get older, you realize, oh, well, it's not just sad. It was brutal and harsh and ultra-violent. And I watched a completely unrelated to American slavery horror film, but it features a character who gets um, held captive against their will and gets their body used for the uh, greed and gain of the people who are holding them against their will. And if they try to escape, they get maimed or threatened with death. Um, Anybody tries to help them gets threatened with death. This is all part of the, the slave experience, obviously. These are all direct parallels. So you think of that and you think of how many other horror stories basically fit that high-level description. And yet nobody thought to add black people to most of these, the vast majority of these movies, even though this is you know directly tethered to the black experience in America. To preempt anybody who's like, oh, he's you know, bringing up slavery and that's so long ago. Like everything's so long ago. It's, it's part of history, right? Like you can't talk about modern history without the foundation, the domino that tipped for for that is like probably World War One, and then if you want to talk about World War One, you got to talk about what set up World War One. That takes you back to the 19th century to talk about the 21st century. Same thing with you know what what it currently is with uh, the Black experience. You have to go back to the 19th century to talk about the 21st century. So I'm sure that anybody who needs to, to hear that, you can't sway them anyway. But I felt the need to say it. But then you know even afterward, you get post Civil War, post Bellum South, the failure of Reconstruction, and the violence against black people that perpetuated from there pretty much for the next, you know, wide openly uh, for the next hundred years from the 1860s to the, to the 1960s. And as we can see today it still happens, but you look at how it used to happen and the magnitude of it. And, you know, this is again, part of the black experience growing up. Eventually you get, you have to confront the story of Emmett Till and what he looked like and all these other pictures of lynching and what it looked like and these violent images that come to your, you know, that, that are, part of this experience of knowing this happened to people who looked like me because they looked like me. And psychologically, that that level of violence, you know, the, the reasoning behind that violence as well and seeing it and knowing the reason behind it is because of the skin you inhabit. We all have to kind of cope with that when we confront it at some point. Violence is not all it, it's there, there's categories of it for a reason, right? We think of domestic violence in a different way than we would think of as just a regular assault out on the street because domestic violence happens in the home and home is supposed to be where you're safe. It's where you live. And so if somebody has to go home to that, it's it, it just feels like it's so much worse. 
And it's the same thing if you have to live in your skin and you know that the violence being threatened against you and being acted out against you or people that look like you is happening because they look like you. And that's devastating to psychologically have to to cope with that. I, I like to tell horror stories because I can kind of control the horror and you know, being denied they, they even that opportunity as black people for so long that we were kind of denied that opportunity. And it's one of the great things about Get Out is that it allows Jordan Peele to really exercise that demon within him that, you know, this this thing that possesses us all, this feeling of knowing this violence existed around us. Basically, no matter how young you are as a black person, you probably, you know, if you've got a grandparent who is 70 years old or a great grandparent who is in their 70s, that you know somebody who grew up in the 60s and was surrounded by this. So this is not just some distant past person that is, you know, somebody we can't really relate to. It's literally our relatives instead. So I think all of those things combine. And as it comes up through the years, there's so many different examples of real life horror that happens with black people. So the body snatchers, when they first started in in medical schools, stealing bodies out of graves that ties to, obviously, um, you know, the, the idea of a body not being in a grave is one of the most classic horror tropes there is, right? It, it, it ties to zombies rising from the grave, vampires rising out of their coffins, you know, just ghouls and monsters, everything. You know, you go to the graveyard and the, the body is outside of the grave that you can't find where it is. That's a classic horror trope. Well, when they were snatching the bodies, the, you know, a lot of them, the, the, the body snatchers were focused in black communities because they knew that it's not going to matter you know, nobody's going to care that the black bodies are being stolen. You know, I, I say this, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on the black experience, but this this pertains to pretty much any person of color. I just, again, I don't feel like it's my right to tell somebody else's story about that. But from the black perspective, you know, we, we ought to recognize that we're not the only ones that this happened to. But when that happens to us and we have that to tie it to, then that ties to, like I say, that classic horror trope. But we're denied the right to express it and kind of get that out of our system and get a way to control it creatively to a certain degree because we, we don't get the same opportunity. And the the Tuskegee experiment, and you're getting medically experimented on, that ties into the distrust of, of doctors. And we have medical horror, evil doctors. That's a classic horror trope again. And once again, you kind of get denied that experience to, to be able to tell that story about something that really happened, a real-life horror story that you should be able to then hopefully take on and then purge from yourself by writing it down, by putting it on the screen, by putting it even in a, in a song. But I could go on with you know a lot of other <laughs> specific examples. The Klan, when they first came about, they weren't always wearing the robes. They were costumed up when they were terrorizing and, and lynching and killing black people. And that's, you know, like a slasher villain, right? Slasher villains wear masks. They stalk the night. They find you. The police oftentimes in a a slasher movie are useless. Well, the police, you know, oftentimes it feels like for black people are are useless at best, maybe directly antagonistic at worst. That all is mirrored commonly in slasher movies. And at the same time, you don't really have that many black slasher movies that you can really point to and say, oh, this is a way for us to eventually have our final girl who gets revenge on the killer who is reflective of that history and the people that used to try to pursue and kill us and did pursue and kill us. So why aren't there more black heroes in horror? Oh, well, black people aren't in this movie because, you know, if it was a black people in a haunted house, we'd leave immediately. You know, that's the kind of classic uh, Eddie Murphy joke. Well, he has to make that joke because there's, there's never been any black people in any of these haunted house movies. When we question the lack of diversity in horror, what it really boils down to is this. People of color are not given as many opportunities to tell these stories. Diversity on screen comes from diversity behind the camera. 
just generally speaking, the entertainment industry is always a little bit afraid of when persons of color get a little bit too whatever it is that you, you, you represent. If you're too much of that, if you're too black, if you're too Latin American, if you're too Asian American, etc., with whatever you, you present, if the packaging there gets too much into your identity and it can't be kind of spread to the mainstream, they kind of think, well, probably from a dollars and cents standpoint, they want to say they want to claim there's no money in it, even though we can see, you know, if, if given the right opportunity with the right material and given the freedom to actually express things in a way that, you know, are creative, but also appealing, you know, when I was preparing for this and, and thinking about what to discuss about this, I went back and looked at some of the old movies that older movies that I remembered where in my mind, I thought, oh, okay, this is cool. Like we might actually get a new opportunity based on this if this is successful. And I went back and looked at a, a Halle Berry movie called Gothica that came out, um, I think a couple decades ago now. And you know, it was Halle Berry, big international star. There's, there's not too many more, uh, you know, prized household names there. And the movie didn't do that well in the States, but it did really well internationally. And it actually, you know, if you look at its budget versus its intake, it, it was successful. Um, it's not a terrible movie, but it's not a great movie, which is fine because that's another thing. I feel like we don't really get the opportunity to make something that's just perfectly middle of the road. You know, there's a lot of uh, white guys that have gotten opportunities repeatedly, you know, after making several middle of the road, nondescript, nothing memorable about them movies whether it's black actors or actresses or black filmmakers or both, if we don't make something that really stands out as amazing, um, you don't get that second chance. And they, they blame it on the dollars and cents. But I thought the example with the Halle Berry's Gothica was really, it would be good for making the point of how that's a nebulous or that's a, that's a, that's a bad argument. It's a, it's, I don't have a lot of faith in that uh, being a, a valid argument because Part of the argument that I've read before is that, oh, well, black movies don't do well overseas because people can't relate to them. Well, her movie did better overseas than it did stateside. Goodfellas also didn't do well internationally because it's a very American crime story. That doesn't mean that, you know, De Niro's not going to get another opportunity after he makes that because, well, you know, his movies don't don't play well outside of the United States. Nobody would have ever thought that. It's been talked about to death that Get Out changed the mainstream attitude of what the horror genre was capable of. So what made this film different? Yeah, I think I think it was the climate. I think it was, you know, to do with timing. A, you know, first and foremost, to give Jordan Peele and everybody else associated with the movie proper credit. I think that it was a really great film and it had a really cool concept that, you know, nothing under the sun is completely original, but it was something certainly I hadn't seen in a while. And it wasn't something I could come off the top of my head and say, oh, this is reminiscent of this slasher movie or this haunted house movie or even this sci-fi horror movie. You know, the idea of usurping somebody's body, you know, that's that's certainly been utilized in other horror stories. But I think that the way that they did it, the motivation that they gave to the villains, the way that the lead character gets entrapped, it, it all, I think, was put together pretty masterfully, actually. I rewatched it not too long ago, and I liked it even better um, going through it again. Just some of the things that it, it really executed, I thought, extraordinarily well. So I think that that obviously was a big factor. I think the timing helped. I think that the horror genre in cinema has recently kind of come upon a, a certain level of a, a renaissance where there are movies like Hereditary, The Witch, It Follows, The Babadook. Some of these are starting to, you know, surrounding this time frame um, we're, we're starting to get a little bit more notice as well as, oh, this is a more serious take on it. And, you know, there, there have always been, if people wanted to dig through, there have always been these kind of movies present in the genre. It's just 
you know, Get Out happened to be the, the kind of the sweet spot of it was taken seriously and presented horror as something you could take seriously with social commentary. And it also made a lot of money. It was a huge success. So I think that that is extra important because and that, you know, that shouldn't be the case. But that lets you know that a lot of people watched it. Get Out was a smash hit. It was it was a big blockbuster hit. And so I think that that really magnified its impact. And then while it's being a sensation, actually having something to say and having a message and showing, you know, for people who maybe have never seen it before, showing what horror is capable of. And for people that, you know, maybe have seen it before, showing that this is what horror is capable of. And also it can be successful while doing that. I I think that that is all those elements converged to make it have the impact that it had. So what is the future of black representation in horror looking like? We're denied this this way, this this means of expressing ourselves for so long. It feels better to know that more opportunities are coming our way. I tend to be, you know, a little bit cautious about that because, you know, once upon a time I remember feeling excited that, oh wow, Jada Pinkett is is starring in a Tales from the Crypt movie. The first Tales from the Crypt feature film that has been made in this modern era since Tales from the Crypt got really popular again. And Tales from the Crypt at the time was a huge success and everybody knew about the Crypt Keeper and it was it was all over the place. And granted, the movie didn't do big numbers or anything, but still, it was, you know, wow, this is an opportunity. And then something like that doesn't come along again afterward. And then, like I mentioned earlier with Halle Berry and Gothica, you know, oh, wow, this movie actually does pretty well overseas. Maybe we'll get some opportunities. Nope. Dries up. Right now, it seems like the momentum is carrying over. and We have a lot more movies that are coming our way. I know that uh, I believe Janelle Monae's in one. I think it's called Antebellum that's on the horizon. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I know that the series based on the, the novel uh, Lovecraft Country is on the horizon, so I'm looking forward to that. You know, whatever Jordan Peele's got going next, you know, right now I've got I've got season tickets to whatever he does. I'll have faith in it until he, he gives me reason not to have faith in it, you know, and he have to do it multiple times. I'll, I'll give him multiple chances to mess up because I don't want to be like one of those people that, you know, oh, you messed up one time as a black creator. Well, now we're out on you. I'm definitely going to continue to support that and, and all the other efforts that are coming our way. I'm just hopeful, but cautiously hopeful, because I feel like I've seen it before where the opportunities eventually dried up, not just in the horror genre, but other genres, romantic comedies and all kind of other things, where it seemed like the momentum was there. And then a few years later, it's it's stymied. So I'm hoping that in this particular genre, in this particular instance, we maintain the momentum and uh, we, we have a brighter future with this. Because I do feel fundamentally... Most of the people that are antagonistic or opposing diversity, when you hear them making excuses for those kind of things, you realize that on some fundamental level, they feel guilty about it because they know it's wrong. And so it can be harder for them to want to embrace that because they want to say, well, I don't want to have to think about my own lineage and legacy and heritage and the things that I've inherited as far as the imbalance of power in my favor, especially when we're talking about people that are the drivers here, the the creators, the the people that make decisions. I think that for them, you know, they, they might want to say, oh, I want to keep it lighter. You know, I want to keep it as more escapist. It impacts it to a certain degree. But at the same time, some of those same, you know, individuals are like, they'll, they'll put something else that's horrible and egregious in a film and do it in a way that denies the the group that suffers through it any kind of catharsis and, you know, try to repurpose it and say, oh, no, you know, we're making this as a, a revenge fantasy or a power fantasy. But it's it's really not a, a lot of the time because it's not somebody who's actually the person who suffers from that, who who is the driver on that, if that makes any sense. You know, like uh, horror has a whole subcategory, a whole subgenre of rape revenge films. The vast majority of those were created by dudes. So what the right do they have to make that film? <laughs> you know, so I tend to be more let's 
expand opportunities. You know, people tend to think, oh, nobody, you know, you don't want anybody to be able to make anything. Nobody would complain about this kind of if we all had these opportunities. If you expanded it and made the pie big enough that black people feel like, oh, I'm I'm getting my opportunities and, and women directors are feeling like I'm getting my opportunities. Asian American creators are feeling like I'm getting all my opportunities too. There's more movies being made now. There's more books being published now than there ever have been by a, a huge margin. If we're not seeing proportionally an expansion of the groups that have long been marginalized, getting their slice of this bigger pie, the pie is bigger. So we should all get, you know, there's there's more than enough here for us all to eat. And yet we're still being denied those those opportunities. At that point, when I think about those things, I, I think, OK, well, the excuse of, well, we're, we're doing this because we don't want to confront something too heavy. All right, well, just give us the opportunity then. We'll confront the heavy lifting. You know, we can do that. We, you know, we're not afraid to do that if you're afraid to do that. We've made significant progress when it comes to representation and entertainment, but we're nowhere near where we should be. Luckily, there are plenty of ways we can change that. If you are in a position to hire creatives, make sure the pool you're picking from is the diverse one. Pretty much everyone has an internet presence, so there's really no excuse for having a small selection to choose from. The entertainment industry is all about who you know, so if you're a working professional, seek out promising young storytellers and artists and help them hone their craft. If you don't understand someone's pitch or project, ask a second opinion from someone who might get it. So many great projects get rejected simply because the person being pitched to is not the target audience. Support and pay for films and content created by Black people, Indigenous people, or people of color. And if you have a significant platform, use it to promote creatives who belong to marginalized groups. Thanks for listening, and thank you to my guest, Johnny Compton. Don't forget to check out his podcast, Healthy Fears, available wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are a creator of color and would like to promote your work on my show or discuss something that's important to you, send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night.